When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. We are back. It is Monday, November 29th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. And uh, I thought when we were making the schedule for the offseason, I thought that the two weeks at the end of November was pretty much the safest possible time with a lockout looming to take a couple of weeks off from shows. I was wrong. Uh, actually, we've got like a month's worth of news in the last week or so. We've got mega extensions for players. We've got even a trade to get to. We've got a bunch of free agent signings. The Mets have done more smart things than stupid things during this span. I mean, this is unprecedented times. Before we started recording, I I told (laughs) you know, I I feel bad that Britt's not here for transactional news that we like for the Mets because it seems like that would be a very rare occurrence, Brit on vacation. She'll be back <laughs> soon. Uh, but, you know, how'd everything go for you while we were gone? I mean, happy Thanksgiving, and thank you again for, for hosting. It was awesome. Uh, how'd everything else go throughout your your time off? I gave up the keg. Oh, the keg is gone. I gave up on the keg. Uh, but I will say, I thought that near the end, I had about 30% left in the keg. However, when after the basting... Uh, and then when I decided that I was just going to empty it, uh, I only emptied it for a minute and 45 seconds uh, before it was totally empty. So I don't really know my fluid dynamics that well uh, to tell you exactly how many beers that was. But I would say that I, it could have been less than 10. I would assume because if you had to empty an entire keg, I would assume 10 minutes would be at least oh, at least 10 minutes. Time. I mean, that's with like yeah. a lot of pressure and everything, too. So. Yeah, I would say you, you you did more damage on that keg. Oh, and also the an empty keg is heavier. It's been a while since I've interacted with kegs, so an empty keg is a little bit heavier than I expected. You know, so like uh, some of my oh my god, I'll never finish this was actually just uh, was just feeling the, the the metal of the keg. You know, they are surprisingly heavy uh, from I don't know twenty years ago or whatever the last time was that I actually lifted one. So my final estimate is there's about 140 beers in a keg, right? Yep. Uh, my final estimate is that I probably had around 70. <laughs> uh, and uh, my friends and the party goers uh, had another, you know, 40 or 50. Yeah, I think I had about four of those 40. So yeah, there you go. Pat yourself on the back. And uh, and then we let I let sort of 10 to 20 go at the end there so uh i think that's a guy's you know considering my age <laughs> and the fact that we're still you know we're not like having parties every day at, every, at other people's houses here in northern california it's still pretty pretty chill on the going out uh level for for corona so i mean i might have been you know if i was a little bit younger and it wasn't corona i might have been like everybody to my house now 
<laughs> we are finishing this keg tonight. <laughs> Boat races with 8% IPAs. Yeah, no. that, that would have been gross. I mean, that would have ended in a very, very bad place. But uh, glad the uh, the keg was mostly polished off. And uh, thanks again for sharing that. But, uh, <laughs> the, the, the key to finishing a keg is brining turkeys, though. That's a, that's a secret. We weren't thinking about that a few weeks ago. I think maybe we thought the keg would have been gone uh, at that time. But. <laughs> it was it was its, its last uh, donation to my life was brining the turkeys. And the, and the turkeys, I thought, uh, did well for it. You know, a lot of the uh, instructions on brining say use some malty beer, use like a brown or a stout or something. Um, and in order to get some of that malt taste in there, I don't know, man. Uh, the bird to me is an herbal thing. You know, it has all sorts of herbs in it. So I think that the hops in the beer just read as another herb. Uh, and it was super juicy. You know, it was a spatchcocked. So like, you know, I, I don't know, between the spatchcocking and the brining, uh man that's my 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 gift to you out there if you don't think the turkey is good spatchcock it and brine it and and come back if this video gets 10,000 likes we will uh do a video episode of you know spatchcocking the turkey <laughs> yeah. in thanksgiving so 2022 gross. that's the one thing about spatchcocking is like my wife is like can't even be in the kitchen when i'm doing it <laughs> and i was like look kids i'm ripping out its spine yeah, your kids are at the age where they could think it's really cool or they could be traumatized and never want to eat meat again. Like, they're right on that, yeah, that borderline. <laughs> and one of them was like, I don't care, Dad. I was like, all right, you're already a nihilist. Great. Awesome. I, I love it. <laughs> My six-year-old is a nihilist. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, let's get to the Mets. We'll start there. Tons of stuff happening. We're going to get to as much of it <laughs> as we... from nihilism yeah, to the I, Mets. I felt like that was appropriate. Because <laughs> if you're a Mets fan, you are much better off as a nihilist than, than actually being yeah, invested right. in their ultimate success. But they're doing everything in their power right now to make this team a lot better on paper. The latest of which, it's not confirmed yet, but just as we've started recording, a three-year, $130 million deal with Max Scherzer. And now it's a bundle, right? It's Scherzer plus Starling Marte plus Mark Canha plus Eduardo Escobar. I saw some people on Twitter getting really excited about Nick Plummer. Uh, I think he's now been pushed completely off the radar as like a fourth or fifth outfielder. But we begin with Scherzer. Three and 130, a nice deal for a pitcher his age, of course, over 40 million per in terms of an average annual value. That is a record. And um, I think it's pretty clear the Mets believe he can still pitch like a top five, top 10 pitcher over most, if not all of that deal. Yeah. You know, I think that uh, the way that pitcher aging is going these days, uh, pitchers are aging better because they're retaining more of their strikeout ability in this sort of strikeout rich league that we're in. Um, this is the kind of perfect uh, guy to to bet on because his strikeout rate really hasn't waned. Uh, you know, last year, last season it was thirty four point one percent for his career. It's twenty nine percent. He really only has done better than he did last season in terms of strikeouts twice in his career, uh, and just barely, maybe three times, but just barely. So he's striking everybody out, and that's a great place to start. Now, the homers, I think, have started to come back into his uh, career. Uh, I think that's where, you know, homers and walks is where you'll see the age. Uh, but on a three-year deal, uh, I know that they, they you know, the, the saying is there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. 
I I think that that has gone to the point now where the the good players get more than the one year deal. So I, I would almost say there's no such thing as a as a bad three year deal at this point. Um, just because year one, you probably get what you want. Year two, if he's injured, you hope it's not the full year injury. Um, and then year three, if you lose one of those years, uh, it's the price of doing business. Maybe that's not your best season. However, it doesn't uh, hamstring your entire organization for years and years, like something like a Pujols deal, you know, where you're just like, that's dead money for five more years, like Eric Hosmer, right? If it's a three-year deal, it's dead money at worst for a year of it, I think. Yeah. Uh, and so that's why the money's so big. That's why the deal's short. And that's why, you know, I think the Mets fans should be super happy about this deal. His depth chart looks a lot more impressive with all the all the adjustments that have been made already. I mean, the uncertainty around Jacob deGrom is going to linger through spring training, maybe through the early part of the season. There's going to be concerns about his workload if he leaves starts early. All of those things are going to be there. But a lot of that, a lot of that anxiety just from a fan perspective even gets reduced because you have Scherzer there. You have two aces now if DeGrom is healthy. You've still got one even if he's not and I assume they're still not done. They're going to be looking at that that second tier of pitchers of course. We'll get to Steven Matz a bit later in the show. The Mets thought they had a deal with him or at least Steve Cohen thought they had a deal with Steven Matz. Turns out no. I don't actually love that deal. Uh, I think that last year represented the absolute peak for Matz, uh, just in terms of uh, you know all the work that he did to improve his pitches, and his fastball still wasn't very good, even at that velo, and he had a really big split between high velo and low velo. Um, and so I think if he drops below 94 at all on an average on his fastball, he's going to be a bad pitcher. So um, you know, I, four years, I, I, he's the kind of guy I would have liked, loved to give a one or two year deal to. Uh, so if that losing out on mats had anything to do with this, with the rest of this, then I would say, Hey, you know, good luck to you, Steven Matz. And yeah, the Mets will take Max Scherzer, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, you know, this is also the kind of thing where, you know, if all, if they get lucky health wise, it now becomes a championship type contender team, right? If they get half lucky and they have one of Degrom or Scherzer, they can still run it through. You know, we, we saw with the 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 Braves is that, you know, the, you make the postseason and then who knows what happens after that. So even if they only have one of Max Scherzer or Jake Degrom, a team like this could win uh, if they if they got to the postseason, right? And then of course, because it's an older team, there is still the risk that. Uh, they have poor uh, health luck in any given season and, I don't know, possibly don't even make the postseason. I mean, you're, you're talking about Carrasco, DeGrom, and Scherzer. There's a, a, a real fair amount of injury risk there. There is. I think this is an offense, though, that is rapidly improving because of the mm -hmm. changes that are being made there. I mean, you had Starling Marte, four for 78. I, I thought... Per year, he might get a little more than that. I thought he'd probably top out around three years because of his age. But really, I mean, the, the thing that Starling Marte brings to the table for us as fantasy players, of course, is speed, first and foremost. But he brings it with a good average. That average is backed by a good OBP. I know a lot of that OBP has the uh, hit-by-pitch uh, bump in it, which can be a, a bit costly. You know, yeah, and hit... And hit uh... 
uh, BABIP, you know, he has a 344 batting average of balls in play uh, for his career. So a lot of it is results on balls in play, which was tied into his speed. So any injury to his legs uh, might uh, might be a, a significant one for him. But he'll be a Met through his age 36 season. I think you're really just worried about the next couple seasons, really, the next two. Like, is he still the player you expect him to be for the next two? And then how does he taper off after that? Uh, thinking about how this team is built, their needs in center field certainly makes sense. Will he still be a good center fielder at the end of the deal? Doesn't matter. Is he a good center fielder right now? That's the that's the problem. The only problem for me is I saw a headline that was like, you know, the, they're improving their 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 defense, and I was like, uh, I mean, they're all post peak defensively, and then you know, most of them, at least by outs above average, were below average. So defense is really a really tough thing to improve in free agency. I'm not sure they did it 100%, but they also have really good players. And, you know, you'd think with the offense and the pitching clicking, maybe uh, they can look the other way on defense. And, in fact, I think that's kind of Sandy Alderson's MO is, uh, is to kind of not focus on defense. Marte was still in the 82nd percentile in terms of outs above average in 2021. So it's not, not like he's bad by any stretch. Right. It's above average. So it's certainly... And the sprint speed was still there. Yeah, so it, it's just... It's it's unlikely it stays there. It's just probably better than Nemo or Conforto in center. Right. Yeah, I mean, I never thought Conforto could play center when he came into the league. I just didn't expect that to be part of his path. But you put Marte in center, it kind of puts uh, Mark Canha, who they just added and left... Nimmo moves to a corner as well. It kind of puts Dominic Smith in the extra bat spot, which is fine after the year that he just had. And maybe there's some trades still coming with this Mets team. That's a possibility as well. I think when we talked about Canha last, it was a, a question of you know which team was going to get a deal because he's the kind of player that does a lot of things really well and just adds a nice floor to your everyday or near everyday lineup. Yeah. And it's funny that Kanha and Marte, um, that a large part of their OBP comes from hit by pitches, both of them. Um, hit skill. by pitches is a skill. It's a skill. It sticks around. I think you're right, though. It's a dangerous skill. It's one that can lead to uh, lots of missed time. Uh, you know, Marte just last year, I think uh, the rib injury was a was a plunk, right? Mm, believe so. Yeah. And so, you know, and Ken Ha has missed a lot of time. Um, they also don't have great power, either of them. So you're putting them now in a park that uh, suppresses power, honestly. Um, so for fantasy reasons, uh, Ken Ha might actually be the most hurt by any of this, uh, other than like McNeil uh, and Davis and and um, and smith uh dominic smith jd davis and jeff mcneil but mark Hanha, i think also gets hurt by this because he doesn't have great great uh power so if you're talking about a guy who might have been you know uh if you gave him full playing time might have been a guy who hit 240 with um you know 20 homers and uh you know 10 steals or something i think he's more you know a 15 and 10 guy and the team hasn't been one that steals a lot. So what if he's like a 15-5 and five guy at 245? Mm. 
you know, I think that's a pretty borderline uh, fantasy uh, fantasy player. But for them, uh, probably really good OBP, and uh, he adds depth by yes, he's the starter, but he pushes McNeil, Davis, and Smith into depth. If there is no NLDH uh, from a real baseball perspective, then I would expect the Mets to trade one of the three, uh, which, whichever gives them a better prospect return, or or maybe. Uh, Davis or Smith because they have less positional versatility. Uh, and they keep like McNeil that. as kind of a utility guy along with like your offensive utility guy and Guillaume is your defensive utility guy. That's a pretty good combination. Yeah, McNeil can play enough spots where he can function as your first six innings, first seven innings utility guy if you want to play it that way. Uh, mm-hmm. Could be the regular second baseman too depending on how all the other pieces fit. Yeah, because Cano, you know, that's, that's still sitting there to, for them to figure out. I would assume that it's kind of a Cano-McNeil situation at second um, as they figure out if Cano has anything left. Yeah, and it might just be time to let Robinson Cano go and accept that as a sunk cost at this point, too. Eduardo Escobar, also a part of this conversation. Now, he got a two-year deal worth $20 million. For now, he's penciled in atop the depth chart at third base, but he moves around. Great fit in the clubhouse. I think he's one of those players that probably... Uh, through a sabermetric lens, it leaves a little something to be desired, you know, compared to Canha and Marte, who get on base a lot, especially Escobar, even when things are going well, is more of like a 320, 330 OBP guy, and there's certainly risk. You see it in the projection. Steamer's got him at a 241, 301, 429 line. I'm actually a little more worried about Escobar going into City Field than I am yeah. about some of the other players. Like the guys come, like like uh, like Marte coming out of Miami and Oakland in, in very pitcher-friendly environments. It might be a slight park upgrade for those guys, but it's a downgrade for someone like Escobar who's been in Arizona and at the end of the season was in Milwaukee. 100%. I think he, yeah, maybe even hurt more than Kenha. You're right, because Kenha's been playing in a, in a place that suppresses power as well. So uh, good point there. I, I also, this is the, the, from a real baseball perspective, this is the signing I like the least. Um, just because I like J.D. Davis. I think he can hit. Uh, I'm not sure that Escobar's defense is so much of an upgrade uh, that it's worth spending that money and pushing Davis back uh, deeper on the depth chart. Um, And then I just see, uh, you know, Escobar's power is slightly soft uh, in terms of, you know, I would project him probably for like a 6% bail rate. Uh, next year and in city that's going to produce like 20 homers so now you're talking about a guy that will have average power below average patience um, slightly above average contact and slightly below average defense i think it actually all adds up to slightly below average Um, and that's sort of that's an interesting thing to kind of spend money on uh, but uh, that's the that's a picking the nets really right. I mean, uh, there's there's some defensive questions. Maybe the Escobar deal wasn't great, but a, a, as a whole, what they did was add a lot of you know at least average uh, starters to push some of their other guys into depth pieces, which was, I think is really smart. Um, and then uh, you know you can't you can't hate on adding Match Serzer. So uh, you know, writ large, I like their offseason. Yeah, I mean, at worst, probably a B plus, but probably more realistically, this is an A so far, and right. I don't think they're done. Uh, I look at the Mets as a team that you know, if you if you said, well, I thought Eduardo Escobar should get two for fifteen. Well, the Mets can afford two for twenty. They're the team that yeah. you're sitting at an auction table in fantasy. Everyone's got two sixty to spend. The Mets have like three sixty to spend right now. Right. So they yeah. can hit a couple extra bucks 
they can overpay a little bit, and that's fine. We want players to get paid, and, and it's it'll, not going to burn them forever. It's not going to it's not going to prevent them from doing something else later, based on how they seem to indicate that they want to operate. Right, and it'll also actually probably cause uh, you to maybe uh, fall into some values elsewhere. And the way that I think of it is. Um, think about the fringe player that either will take a minor league deal or a small veteran deal. Um, say Cole Calhoun, right? Um, you, if you're Cole Calhoun and you're talking to uh, you know the Rangers, the Rangers say, "Well, listen, we're about to sign this guy." They can tell you that kind of thing, right? We're about to sign Marcus Simeon. We're gonna we're that we're not gonna end there. We're gonna sign John Gray, and we're not gonna stop there. We're gonna sign a bunch of guys. So. You know, you got Donnie Ecker here, who used to work with in in um, in Anaheim. Uh, so you've got a great hitting coach that you'd like, and you've got these other stars coming. So come with us on a, on a small deal. I haven't even seen the terms. I'm assuming it's it's a tiny deal. Um, and then when you're the Mets now, I feel like let's talk about Rich Hill. Rich Hill's going to sign somewhere for like one and four million, right? One and three million. Some, you know, less than what he did last year, but still something to, that he can help out and give you guys, you know, ninety to one hundred innings of decent work, right? He's still like third in in uh, in free among free agents and stuff plus, you know, like he's Rich Hill can still help a team, and um, he can really choose where to go with that three million, right? He could go back to the Dodgers. He could go to the Giants. It's not gonna. He's not gonna make a decision for the rest of his career because the rest of his career is like two more years, right? I mean, it's <laughs> the rest of his career could be this last deal. And I don't think he's gonna be like, oh, I'm gonna go to the place that gives me four point five versus four. And I don't think he's gonna have an offer from one team that's like eight million or the Mets three million. I think they're all gonna come in around the same. That's what they do. And so you know, you end up Rich Hill will be looking at three or four deals that separate in by like a million at tops, and he be like you know what might be fun to be in new york this looks like a fun team they're putting together so i'm gonna go and be probably worth more than my three million but that's the only offer anyone's giving me and boom now you've got a really old rotation um you know but you've when they're all healthy they're good and you've pushed tyler mcgill who's i think somewhat exciting and david peterson is 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 useful now they're your six and seven you know and I think that's the kind of thing that they'll do when baseball comes back online. They'll try and grab, uh, you know, either a reliever or starter that uh, is like just excited to come to New York, basically. I, I like the idea of those guys being not in your projected five to begin the year, but you know you're going to need them at some point, right? You think yeah. back to Dodgers teams in recent years and uh, Ross Stripling for a long time was that sort of mm-hmm. guy. It's great to have those swing options who are good enough starters when you need them and they're useful multi-inning relievers when you don't. I think that's a great spot to be in if you are the Mets. You had the segue kind of snuck in there. Marcus did, Simeon, Texas, baby. Marcus Simeon <laughs> to the Rangers. This was the number one thing on the rundown until the Scherzer thing broke about four minutes before we started recording. So the Rangers could have let off the show and you and Britt and I spent, I think, $100 million in about four and a half minutes uh one of our and last they're episodes. gonna do it too <laughs> they're gonna do it and we kind of had a good sense of like well where are they going to spend marcus Simeon gets seven and 175 i've seen the rangers linked to Corey seager i'd be a little surprised that they got both it's not impossible like they certainly have the money they built a new stadium payroll was low more power to them if they want to go out and get both it is my it is my uh, understanding from talking to people around the game that there is another big one coming, and it wasn't just Gray and it wasn't just Simeon. So nice. Well, seven for one seventy five for Marcus Simeon. Like kudos to him for you know, having to bet on himself and 
coming through with another massive year, showing us that 2019 was not, in fact, the career year with what he did with the Blue Jays. Thinking about this from a fantasy perspective for a moment, we're thinking about the park factors with City Field and the guys going there. This is one where I do have a little bit of concern, but we still don't have enough data at least I don't think we have enough data to look at the new stadium in Arlington and say this is definitely how it plays, but it is playing pretty similar to how Rogers Center has played, at least it did in 2021, because Rogers Center has played more neutral than people realize. Uh, it has that reputation. They just have a really good offensive team. We did mm-hmm. see uh, Vlad Guerrero have uh, pretty uh, pretty strong splits between Buffalo and and uh, and uh, Florida, Dunedin, and 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 Rogers Center. I did see that. Yeah, and it's complicated by how much they moved around this year and all that. But the the point here is that the concerns I would have about Marcus Simeon are more related to the supporting cast as they build out that lineup around him. It's almost certainly, even if the Rangers add another big free agent bat to go with him, almost certainly going to be a less powerful lineup around him in Texas than the one that he spent around him in 2021 with the Jays. So that's the, the, the counting stats might not be quite as gaudy. I think the questions come down to... And okay, the power might might be more like Oakland, but we'll see. Yeah, is it 30 home run power, and is it still 10 to 15 steals? Like, where do we fall on power and speed projections for Semyon going to his new team? Yeah, that's funny that you that you point that out. I, in my mind, uh, Texas is a pitcher's park and Rogers is a hitter's park. So... Um, that's just a sort of blink assessment, right? I I, I totally believe you that it uh, it plays closer. So you know the steamer projections: two sixty, thirty homers, eleven steals. Um, I'd like to pay for. I'd like to buy him at less than that. You know what I'm saying? Like if it's fantasy and I'm auction, I'm like in an auction and Marcus Simeon's up. I'd like to buy Marcus Simeon at like two sixty, twenty five, and ten. Okay. Um, and then hope that uh, he plays more to it. The other thing that you know that factored into this is uh, he's been a really he's been an Iron Man, and I don't think I think he's led the he's led the league in WAR since 2019, but he's also pretty close to leading the league in plate appearances. And in fact, I think he does. So um, you can read that a couple different ways, right? I mean, I think the way that the Rangers read that is uh, he's an Iron Man. He's dedicated to being out there. He takes care of himself and, you know, uh, this and that, the other, but we've also said on this show, you know, a lot of times you look at a guy and it's like 600, 600, 600, 200, you know, it just comes out of nowhere. Um, and time comes for everyone. And it's like, maybe that research that's out there that uh, on baseball prospectus about how, um, Every pitch is bad for you in terms of like uh, pitchers like just getting worse over the course of the season because of fatigue. Maybe uh, it's the same for hitters where like every plate appearance is bad for you in terms of the long term ramifications. So uh, that part would make me a little nervous. The thing that I love about Marcus Simeon is that um, you know when I talk about uh, people being good clubhouse guys, to me that means that they hang out with everyone. Uh, they kind of build bridges between different groups because a lot of um, clubhouses can be stratified along racial lines or, you know, background, you know, college, high school, that sort of deal. Um, and uh, Simeon, as I've seen him, uh, has been a guy that makes it his point to kind of talk to everybody in the clubhouse and have a relationship with everyone in the clubhouse, being uh, one of the high, the highest or one of the highest paid uh, position players in the in the uh 
in the in the clubhouse will give him gravitas and i think will make it easier for him to transition to a new team um and i think he will be a leader on that team um and uh if you just do the math um it says that in his last year which everyone's so concerned about the seventh year in his last year he'll be a 1.5 win like uh dh type you know half in the field half not you know maybe canoish you know near the, you know where he's still a good hitter but uh he's hurt or he you know he uh you know plays dh some days um and it says it would, they're paid eight million dollars per win so i don't know it seems kind of ridiculous because of his age and seven years but the numbers say it was a fine deal What's interesting to me is I know there were some reports about the Rangers prospects in the fall league being among the more impressive groups of players. And I think with the lost minor league season in 2020, there is a possibility that a bunch of guys that would have popped a year ago didn't necessarily pop that much this year. And seeing them in a setting like the fall league could be a way of opening our eyes to who are we Got talking it. about here? Because I know Owen White uh, was their guy, and he was he won the best pitcher uh, of the year. But um, that's uh, uh, the 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 normal size man is a giant in the land of yeah. You get it. Um, <laughs> Continue. <laughs> I, I don't know. I watched White, and I I wouldn't say that um, I'm telling everybody to to go at him. Maybe he can be a good depth piece for them, but. Uh, he didn't pop in my eyes. So, wh- what were some other names from the fall league that uh, was on the hitting side? Yeah, Justin Rangers? Justin Foscue and uh, Ezekiel Duran. I think were the other two that kind of stood out to a few different people out Those, there. So, Foscue's an outfielder, right? I think they drafted him as an infielder. They might be playing him in the outfield. Uh, He's been hurt a little bit too uh, during the minor league season. So, I think that was a, a big deal. So, like just to Ezekiel get those extra Duran. reps. Ezekiel Duran, 22, listed as a second baseman, uh, 50 future value on Fangraphs with good raw power and uh, issues with hit tool. Yeah, he's got high strikeout rates. Um, But uh, good batting averages, decent power, good speed, and has been playing uh, third base and second base. Well, he's he's blocked now. <laughs> yeah, well, and and that's the thing. So, I mean, you've you've got these you got these guys that are probably going to move off the infield to the outfield because they don't have a lot of outfield prospects knocking on the door, and they don't have a lot of outfielders locked in at the big league level. So that's a fine problem. He has some like, speed. Maybe they can try Duran in center. They kind of they're looking for something in center, and center is a hard place to sign a free agent. Yeah, I think Leody gets a shot in twenty twenty two. Because he had a good enough year at AAA to see how he fares, but certainly no guarantees based on what's happened with him and his previous opportunities at the big league level. But then you add like Josh Young, not in the fall league, but their best prospect. He's big league ready this year, and they're really excited. And I, I think, I think they're really excited about about Young. And I think you know he's basically the guy in pencil. So I think you know maybe Solak starts the year at third, uh, but uh, Solak. Um, and Duran uh, and Foscu and even Aram- Adolis Garcia, I would say that they're all on the hot seat. You know, they're all potential left fielders along with Willie Calhoun. You know, mm-hmm. that's it's a group that may only produce one or two uh, starters for the Rangers. And it's a group that people are really excited about, but uh, you have to be honest and look at this depth chart and realize uh 
you know, Solak, Kiner Falefa, Calhoun, um, you know, Adolis Garcia, all those guys, and then their, their top prospects, you know, they're going to produce one or two starters. Yeah, Yanni um, Hernandez. I think they're going to add, yeah, right. And we were excited about Yanni Hernandez and um, to some extent uh, Pozo. But uh, what, like, what, what, how are you gonna, what are you going to do, you know? I think that they'll just be guys that come up when guys are injured uh, for, the, for the short term. And then guys who have I, – I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if Billy McKinney didn't make major the, the opening day roster. And right now he's the Fangraphs starter at le, in left field. It makes sense because McKinney has bounced around and he's been targeted and picked up and claimed by mostly good organizations more recently. So there's something there, especially like barrel rate. And um, you know, I, I've I've seen him play enough to understand like why teams are interested. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he'll be anything more than a on the roster, off the roster sort of player. But you take the shot on a guy like that if you're in their position. You have you know, 200 plate appearances in the first half of the season that are up for grabs. And I think that fairly describes what the Rangers are looking at. But you have Young, you have Jack Leiter and Cole Wynn on the pitching side. I think I, I took Cole Wynn in that draft and hold day I was in a few weeks ago in the 46th round, 47th round. Because if you start looking at the rotation, right, you add John Gray, they probably are going to add one more starter. Taylor Hearn, Dayton Dunning, A.J. Alexi, Spencer Howard. Out of Hearn, Dunning, Alexi, and Howard, I think like, two of those guys stick in the rotation. I think it's probably Dunning and Howard. They get the longest looks there. I could see Hearn and Alexi being up and down or even bullpen guys. I think they're going to sign another starter. Yeah, I think you don't... I think you want Alexi, Otto, Allard. I think you want all those guys out of your rotation as your six and seven guys. Those are depth guys for sure, but I think Lighter, Lighter and Wynn might be in this rotation by midsummer. Especially if they go with, uh, you know, uh, like either Rich Hillian, like either like an older guy just to fill innings, or if they take a shot at someone like Carlos Rodon, right, and throw that and throw him in that rotation, uh, then, you know, who better to stand in for an injured Carlos Rodon than Jack Leiter? You know what I mean? Like if your if your team is going well, if not, then uh, you call up Glenn Otto again. Yeah, so you have a few depth guys that can be the glue guys until your younger pitchers are ready, but they're getting close. It's I mean, like kudos to them. Like just a couple signings, you kind of you start to look at this team differently. You know what I mean? Just like just pushing down all those guys by putting Gray at the top and pushing pushing Solak from a oh he's definitely into a you know if he pops we'll use him if not he can be utility. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, like that changes a lot of uh, your the way that you look at this team, you know, now uh, you can kind of imagine, especially if they have one or two more big signings in them, you can kind of imagine like a pathway to, to making it work where you're like, well, the relief squad isn't amazing, but it does have Jonathan Hernandez and Jonathan Kirk in it. Right. And those guys were really, really good when they were healthy. So, you know, depending on when they get healthy, if they push some of those guys like Patton and Spores down a couple of rungs, then all of a sudden the, even the bullpen could be good. Is this a good signing? John Gray? Four for 56. I mean, I I think either on this show or maybe it was on the Athletic or the athletic Baseball show, uh, I had this thought that maybe John Gray is a lot like Lance Lynn was a few years ago, and then he just had to deal with Colorado his entire career. Because when Lance Lynn went to Texas a few years ago as a free agent, no one was that excited about that. It was just like, oh, it's just innings. Yeah, this is a rebuilding team. Got to get innings somewhere. 
how good is John Gray going to be? I mean, how much has he lost since he entered the league? And, and how excited should we be about him from a fantasy perspective, getting a chance to be in at least a neutral environment, if not a slightly pitcher-friendly one? Well, you know, the stuff numbers are going to uh, be worse for him because, you know, Coors actually changes your stuff your stuff numbers, actually changes the shape of your pitches. Uh, but uh, a 96 stuff plus is interesting because he has the type of fastball that doesn't get changed by Coors. That's why he was an effective Coors pitcher, I think, because he has this weird forcing fastball that doesn't really have great ride or great sink, but is kind of in between. And uh, if you actually look at it, I wrote a piece about this, like uh, the, the course pitchers that have done well all have the same fastball. They have the John Gray fastball. Mar- Marquez, uh, Senzatella, um, you know, all those guys have the same fastball. And the problem for me is I think that the biggest upside for him, so his curveball is going to did get affected. And so I think his curveball is going to be average. So now you're going to talk about a guy who has like 110, 115 stuff plus slider, right? A really good slider. Then you're going to talk he's going to have like a 100 curveball, right? Because it's been like 90, 95, but that's because at home it's like an 85 and on the road it's like 100 and 105. So I'm going to give him a 100, I'm going to give him an average curveball, a really good slider. I don't think this fastball actually has that much potential in it because it's been, and I think that changing someone's fastball is one of the hardest things to do. Because you're, what are you, what are you going to do? Change a guy's arm slot at this age? No, you're not going to do that. So the only thing I could see is like maybe he comes in like it's a sinker now, you know, or it's a totally different pitch now. So there's a possibility there that the fastball could change, but I think it won't. So I think he's basically an average pitcher, right? So 456 for an average pitcher, it's okay. But the four, Right. Yeah. Well, the problem I have looking at what he was doing this year, look at his location for his four seamer. You just mm-hmm. can't throw your four seamer. It's it's a fried egg with the yolk in the middle yeah. of the strike zone. Like you that's just that's that looks like a non location strategy. Yeah, I don't know what that's about. Is that is that him getting back into counts? Is that all, you know, because it's a poor count and he's he's trying to get back in? That's possible, right? If falling behind, but, you know, missing with breaking stuff. And I think, you know, your, your point about the secondaries too, how much more can he trust his curveball and or his changeup if he has better command of those pitches? It, he, he's basically been a two-pitch guy who has four pitches, but how much of that was actually the result of, of Colorado preventing him from getting to those options more consistently? Yeah. I just, you know, when you get a hitter out of Colorado, a lot of times they seem undervalued. We've talked about how uh, there's the Coors effect, you know, away from home and and and, and all that deal. Um, and so I see it when you're getting a, a former Coors hitter, but I don't think we've had the same effect where you get a pitcher who was in Colorado and he's immediately great when you take him out. Yeah, part of that is their inability to have and find good pitching in the first place. Like, <laughs> like I know there's a chicken and egg thing. Like, are the pitcher's not good because the park, or are they? I actually argue that some of the issues are that they don't have very good pitchers most of the time. I mean, I mean, and also Gray is better than Chatwood, right? Like, Chatwood's the, the biggest recent example, but Chatwood had really poor command always. Yeah, Gray doesn't have yeah. that problem. Yeah, I've been looking at Lance Lynn before he went to Texas, had the miserable ratios year split between the Twins and the Yankees in 2018. That first year in Texas, a 367 ERA and a 122 whip. 
that felt like, hey, he bounced back to his St. Louis levels. This is as good as it gets. And then he unlocked something and got to the, the 2020 and 2021 version of Lynn. More four-seamers for sure. Do you think Gray could be a high threes ERA guy with a, a 120s whip like Lynn was in 2019? Is that a fair sort of upside comparison? Yeah. I don't want to expect more than that. What, what, one of the things that Lynn showed uh, was a, a pop in, in velo, right? Yeah, picked up some velo. Uh, Gray was up uh, off of 2020. He was at 94.9, but, uh, you know, peak Gray 2017, 2019 was 96 average. So I don't know. Um, yeah, I think just getting him out, uh, the steamer projection, I, don't, I think it's been updated, actually still has a 430 ERA for him. Because the home run rate is high for Gray, and home runs aren't necessarily augmented by cores. Yeah, they don't get spiked as much as you'd think they would, Yeah, even though offense goes through the roof. Uh, but um, I suppose the, the idea is uh, we paid for... It's a sort of what we say you should do in fantasy, which is like the idea is we paid for... We paid the price for an average starting pitcher. I guess that's true these days, right? $15 million a year. Yeah. Pitching so market has been price. pretty hot. We paid the price for an average starting pitcher and we gave the extra year because of the upside. So we think there's a little bit more here than average and that's why we paid a little bit extra. It's an intriguing bet for sure. Just because there's so many years of, of disappointment but expectations were really high. I think people thought that John Gray was going to be the best pitcher the Rockies ever drafted when they got him and Maybe he actually is like I. I it's possible. Like I, I'd have to look a little more closely, but it's not a, a rich enough history to think that it's a, it's a ridiculous Probably claim. Marquez. Well, yeah, and they traded for him. So, uh, where did they get Marquez? Rays. I think the Rays might have gotten him from someone too. He might have been twice traded. I got to look into that. That that I'm not sure about. Uh, you mentioned it earlier. Cole Calhoun also going to the Rangers. So yeah, Cole and Willie Calhoun now finally in the same lineup. Both Calhouns together. Uh, let's talk about the Blue Jays for a minute. They signed Kevin Gossman to a five-year, one hundred and ten million dollar contract. So big deal for Gossman. Again, the pitching market has been hot. This comes after they extended Jose Barrios. They extended Barrios for seven years at $131 million. Barrios, I believe, was set to become a free agent after 2022, so he had one year left. I love his- that deal. I think especially in light of like you know the John Gray deal, right? Yeah. Doesn't that make the Barrios deal seem awesome? Yes, it does. <laughs> like and it- you paid $5 million more a year. You, know, you paid more years, but you got a much better pitcher. Yeah, I mean... And, and Barrios, I, I think he's long been a favorite of me. He's a few years younger than Gray, so that factors in. But I, I just think it's it's more it's more finesse in that arsenal. It's not just overpowering stuff when he's good. It, it's a it's a good mix of pitches. I think there's still room for some growth. Uh, we'd like to see a fourth pitch or even a more consistent use of the changeup just to get to the three more often. But I actually like that extension quite a bit. I was surprised they went out and got Gossman. Maybe I just didn't have a good feel for what the Blue Jays were going to do with money. They're one of those teams that always has money to spend and doesn't necessarily go out and spend it. What do you think about Gossman on a deal like this, for them especially, and bringing him back into the AL East where I realize he's not necessarily the exact same pitcher now that he was a few years ago in Baltimore, but 
this this actually gave me some some concerns in terms of fit. I don't know how I feel about this pitcher on this team in that division. So I got the Savant um, park factors up. And I think the the reason why uh, became very clear to me why I have to I have a different idea of Roger Center than maybe the truth. It has a 98 overall park factor, and it's in the blue for everything except for one thing, which I think you can guess: homers. Homers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know it suppresses doubles, it suppresses hits, uh, but it augments homers by 15 percent. Giants uh, still uh, depress homers by 25%. So I think that's relevant for Gossman. You know, he's he's going closer back towards, you know, when he, like, being in, in, in Camden. I mean, what's Camden? Um, 127 for homers. I mean, that's, a so, pretty, yeah. that's another level up. And then, of course, for runs overall, it's the fourth most hitter-friendly park in baseball. But he's, got a, he's got a pitch there, too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And the other thing that uh, is interesting is um, they don't seem to be afraid of two-pitch guys. I mean, they went and got Ray. Uh, They might still be in on Ray. Um, And uh, they went and got Gossman. And Berrios is, you know, like a a two-and-a-half guy. I mean, he has that changeup, but he doesn't. He uses mostly the curveball. And... um, it's. I think it's fine. You know, two pitch guys in, in today's environment have been getting the strikeouts, uh, and they're not as required to go as deep into games as they used to. Maybe so. That's a that's a benefit of having more pitches. They took the bet with Hanjin Ryu on on many pitches, and it's been fine. But uh, maybe they're looking. They think aces are made by uh, plus pitches, elite pitches, single pitches like Gossman splitter and Ray's slider, and so on. Yeah, I just I don't know. I, I don't know why I didn't expect them to be in on on Gossman specifically. That one just caught me off guard. It probably in the wake of the Barrios extension. I thought, yeah, they're they're probably pretty comfortable with their pitching, but at the same time, they've got a lot of cost controlled hitters for a little while. Take advantage of that while you can. Spend up on the pitching now. You know, cover over those flaws and and make a run at it. I I like it from the standpoint of they're being aggressive and they're definitely better with Gossman than they are without him. There's no argument there. I'm not not trying to say he's not good because now you're, you're Gossman, Barrios, Ryu, Manoa, and you could probably get that extra depth guy. Yeah, whether that's... I think uh, they probably have one more older guy in them. I think they probably do. It, it, it would make sense to then bump Stripling into his more customary six-starter role, maybe one more reliever, too. They added Yimi the Garcia. Yimi, yeah, the Yimi Garcia signing is good for me. I, Romano, uh, by the way, uh, pitching plus beats uh, projections for relievers, so mostly I've been doing, in my early drafts, just drafting by pitching plus and roll, uh, and Romano has been popping in my drafts as undervalued um, in that I'm, I'm already in. I've already done two drafts. I'm an I'm an addict. Uh, but Yimi, I think, is a, a really good signing as uh, I think uh, insurance. Basically, I don't think he's the the closer. I think Romano's still the closer. I think Yimi's probably the setup guy, and Merriweather is the guy they go to if both those guys crap out. So those are. But I think those three are very exciting, especially when you throw in uh, Simber and possibly Bulwerkier Richards as like the funk. So you've got both the funk and the and the power. What I'm really curious to see too with the Blue Jays, and we'll spend more time talking about this on a future episode, is you know losing Marcus Simeon 
Do they rely on Captain Biggio to be their primary second baseman? Do they go into free agency and, and find someone else to fill that void? How much can they look at their offense and say, you know, we barely had George Springer in the regular season in 2021. So we're going to get that production back from a guy in the outfield. And we're okay with going a little cheaper at second base because you know, we're going to we're going to be fine offensively. I, I could see them making that argument, especially pushing these resources into the rotation and the bullpen the way they have so far. You know what might be a really a fun deal for them is Kyle Seeger on a on a short term deal. Hmm. Uh, I mean, they're looking for a third baseman or a second baseman, right? I mean, the big deal would be Chris Bryant, but maybe they don't want to spend like that. Um, you know, a, a real cheap deal would be you know like uh, just papering over the position with Matt Duffy or Travis Shaw or you know you know they did Jake Lamb could try that again, but uh, I think Kyle Seeger wouldn't cost much. And uh, would be an actual real starter uh, at third for them. So it's a, I think it's a decent name for them. Yeah, I think it's maybe like on the the backup list at least. Is uh, what do you do if you either can't trade for someone you like, or if you miss out on on a more pricey option that you want to have instead? But you're right, they do have that option to go or, or sign second like, or third. You know, they have Mark Shapiro there. They could sign Cesar Hernandez. Well, Cesar Hernandez is a Phillies guy. Yeah, he didn't overlap Shapiro. Yeah, that's right. But uh, Cesar Hernandez, uh, is, but I'm, you know, I'm looking at the free agents and this, like this, this flurry that we've gone through has really cleaned it up. You know, there's mm-hmm. like all that's left of the guys who are going to get like minor league deals. And, and I mean, other than, you know, Korea story figure and Baez, I think, you know, you're looking at, well, do we, you know, sign Freddie Galvis to be our third baseman for a year or Kyle Seeger? Uh, I don't see them being in on Korea's story Seeger Baez. No, I don't um, think they're going to that level. Baez, Baez, to me, it just depends on what the market is for him. I could see that maybe being the the surprise sort of move, right? You get a great defender. You get a guy that on an offense, I've said this about Houston before too, I think Baez fits on teams that are kind of loaded offensively that get on base and don't strike out yeah. a lot because you, then you, you can't if you put on a team like the, the the Yankees or a team that has like a 23 24 25% team K rate you're taking your problem and you're making it worse. it worse yeah i think you can absorb that better if you've got other and types also of if lineup diversity is a thing it's interesting to have a, a like a very disciplined lineup and then be like and also we have Javi Baez <laughs> yeah try to get this guy out in the bottom third of the lineup don't right. make a mistake yeah. don't make a single mistake down there um, yeah, uh, yeah, I could see it if the market, I think the Baez and Bryant, like, I think I could see the Blue Jays watching the Baez and Bryant markets and being like, you know, if that's softer than people expect, we could jump in there and, 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 and get ourselves a deal. Um, and then Seager to me is a, uh, a great sort of, uh, I keep saying Rich Hill's name, but he's like the Rich Hill of, of offense kind of signing. <laughs> I we just want give, Rich- let's give Kyle Seeger one year and ten million, or let's give Rich Hill one year and ten million to be our third baseman. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's that's step that's too enough, far. You know, it'd be quiet. <laughs> yeah, that's that's enough of that. Let's keep it moving. Let's go to Houston, where Justin Verlander has returned one year, twenty five million plus a player option for twenty twenty three. So I think it comes out to like two for fifty if we just assume that he'll pick that up. If you know, it's better for him to do that or if he thinks the market next winner is the better option he can go test that out too Uh, I think it's interesting because Verlander gets one for 25 with that option Noah Syndergaard got one for 21 from the Angels 
if you're taking your pick between those two, and I realize like Verlander's at a point in his career, especially where the list of teams he wanted to pitch for is probably a lot shorter. Syndergaard might still be in the clearly I want the best offer, best situation to come back from from TJ. Who do you like better in these circumstances coming off of the same injury? I think I'm, I'm th- I know Verlander's older, but I think I take Verlander because his health track record was better before the TJ. You know, the one thing about Noah that was weird was he always like was grabbing a hamstring and all, all those other things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, Verlander was pretty healthy before before the TJ. So um, I know he had he had an oblique. I'm going to take Verlander, and I think for the Astros, it's a, it's an amazing fit because having Verlander last year or McCullers would have been the difference in that World Series. I think. Yeah, and I think we sometimes forget when a, a pitcher loses a year like this just how good they were before surgery. Verlander was the lead of the elite. Like he, if he had stayed healthy, he'd be getting a deal probably comparable to Scherzer. Like yeah. that is absolutely the type of of contract he could get. And if he comes back and has a year similar to Scherzer, he won't exercise that option. It'll get two for 80 or something next winter, if that's what yeah. he wants, right? So he could still get there pretty easily. Uh, it's, it's interesting that he goes back to Houston, but I think it makes all the sense in the world. It gives them a lot of stability. They have the same kind of uncertainty around Lance McCullers and his health that the Mets have with DeGrom, not to say that McCullers is value is anywhere close to DeGrom's, but now you feel a lot better about what you have coming back with Verlander and high trust level two had the surgery early enough to be further removed from it when spring training removes than a lot of guys will be. So I think that also gives me that little extra bit of confidence that he's going to come back and be most of the guy that he was pre-surgery in 2022. Yeah, but I'm looking at this Astros team and they have a Carlos Correa size hole in it. I mean, they need they need some offense somewhere, right? This team right now, it just it's like it, it looks a little. It just lost a, its luster because you know they 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 moved on from George Springer in center, and so Myers is lo- looked okay, but he also he uh, he hurt his rotator rotator cuff. You know, he had surgery on that. So you're gonna open up the season with Chaz McCormick in center and Jeremy Pena at short. And Yuli Gurriel at first, and Martin Maldonado at catcher. Like that, those are legitimate hole. Like those are holes, right? Gurriel's close to not being a hole, but he's like average at best, right? So then that start to look like a kind of a bad offense. I think they need to. I think they need to sign one of the big shortstops. And maybe it's not going to be Correa if they don't want to go to like three forty or whatever. But I think they need to sign one of the shortstops. Yeah, that's where my previous thoughts about Baez fitting in really well come from. I think he'd be an option for them if they didn't want to go to the, the top of the free agent list at shortstop. But, I mean, Jordan, Jordan's a legitimately elite hitter. Kyle Tucker has risen to that really level. Good. Bregman's been there before. Altuve bounced back. I think Bregman, how much of his struggles this season were the result of the wrist injury that he had surgery for, right? I mean, right. It, what does he bounce back to? That's a huge question for us fantasy-wise, but also just for the Astros. Because if he's pre-2020 Bregman, that's a massive lift. That's a guy they haven't really had at that level in a while. So if you get him back, that changes a lot about how this lineup looks. But I agree with you. I think they're one good regular bat short of where they usually are. Could you spend the money at third and get like Bryant? (sighs) That's an interesting thought. I I don't know if I would want to go down that path 
with Bregman at this stage. I mean, he's, he's only 27. He turns 28 in March, so you could maybe do it for a year or two, but how long do you want to stick with that plan? Uh, to me, you know, I, I hate to get fast, to, to get tied up over years and, and stuff like that, and I haven't been, I think, in my analysis of these other, uh, other deals, but to me, the bias matters so much on years because he has really poor plate discipline and at one point that it's going to it's going to fall apart on him because he just won't make contact on anything outside of the zone he'll swing at too many things outside of the zone uh and i think it's a very complicated swing uh i just um maybe maybe they'll surprise us and get story you know where it's not the top of the market but it's not the bot it's not the, the you know the worst of the of the big shortstops I actually like that fit quite a bit too. I, I mean, yeah. I know there's some some swing and miss concerns with Story. But it's not quite the same level as as, uh, as Bias. Not quite, I, and I think he'll age reasonably well. But if you think about the Sim, like if Simeon got seven for one seventy five, is Story getting that many years or that much money coming off the year he just had? And how much are they worried about the declining arm strength in Story, which is definitely a thing. Right, because moving him to second base, you know, get Altuve for a while yet, that's not necessarily a great option. Maybe you could throw him in left field eventually. That would be an option too. But yeah, I, I could see Story maybe being the higher end of what they would do if they don't keep Correa. I don't think they're keeping Correa, though. I think Correa's gone. I just I get the sense he's but Detroit, this team does New York, seem, somewhere. This team does seem built up where like maybe they could have one really expensive player. Like who is their one really expensive player otherwise? Verlander, yeah, on an AAV level, it's it's Verlander, but yeah. otherwise they don't really have right. I don't see I don't anyone. see a really expensive team. Maybe this was all set up so that Correa was the one we keep. I mean, Bregman and Tube did sign extensions, uh, but those were you know those weren't like you know uh, the type of extension that Carlos Correa wants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Hector Neris added to the bullpen, two for 17 for Neris. Kendall Graveman going to the White Sox, so basically swapping out Graveman, swapping in Neris. Nice for Neris to get out of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And he has a 105 stuff plus. Presley has a 122 stuff plus, so I think Presley is still is not really uh, you know feeling the heat from Neris. But Neris and Stanek and Maton, I think that's a uh, that's a fine. Uh, bullpen. I'm into that bullpen, but I do think Presley's the easy uh, closer there. Let's get to the Angels for a moment. I mentioned Cindergard kind of as a comparison for Verlander. One for 21. Angels give up a draft pick for one year of Cindergard since he, of course, got that qualifying offer from the Mets. Uh, they added Aaron Loop, two for 17 for him to the bullpen. Best and- stuff plus among free agent relievers. I would not have guessed that. You could have given me 10 guesses, (laughs) and I would not have guessed Aaron Loop. So a much-needed addition to the bullpen. We'll see what they do with Rysel Iglesias and how that plays out. But, okay, so the Angels are at least trying to fix their flaws. They added Michael Lorenzen for a a one-year, $7 million deal. I saw the tweet from Robert Murray that they are trying him as a starter, and we'll see if that actually sticks. I think he's made five starts in the last like six years combined. Well, that's how Lorenzen was marketing himself, yeah. Yeah, so if it doesn't work, then of course he goes to the bullpen and you got one more arm in the late innings. But uh, what do you make of what they've done so far? Is this sort of shopping in the bargain bin? They get an incomplete. I mean, I love Noah Syndergaard. Otani Syndergaard is an awesome one too, I think, uh, in the rotation. That changes a lot. I don't think they've had... 
a good as good a number two or as a, as a good two pitchers atop their rotation in this whole time. So, you know, I think that's a that's a good move by them. Uh, but there's so much incomplete left. I mean, is Tyler Wade their starting shortstop or David Fletcher? And if David Fletcher's their starting shortstop, who's their starting second baseman? And right now, I think in the outfield, it's Trout Marsh Adele, which is something we've been asking for for a while, but it's also very high variance. Uh, yeah. They've still got Upton, so I guess that's a Fangraphs thing. I think if you have Upton, you're actually Upton Trout Marsh Adele. Well, something like that. in some capacity, yeah. You're, you're, I, but that's four. It's four good outfielders, but it, it, there's also like a real collapse percentage there where like two of them aren't major leaguers. I'd take my chances on that group though. I mean, you could So maybe you think add... that's that's complete. So the outfield is complete and the next move they make is a shortstop. It's got to be a middle infielder. I mean, yeah, yeah cuz you're going to play Fletcher most likely at one of those spots. Healthy Rendon of course comes back. So you got Rendon and Walsh on the corners. Here's, here's, your here's a good guy. spot for story too, because you, if you sign him as a, as a shortstop, and then you think the arm strength is a problem, you can move him over to second. Yeah, they have that flexibility a bit more. I think that does make sense. I think he'd be uh, among the players that they should should definitely consider. I think that's th- their clearest need from a position player perspective. I think Max Stassi is a little underrated, so I like that he's kind of got catcher to himself, health permitting. I actually like the outfield a little more than you do because I, I think we saw Dell lower the K rate last year. Marsh was Marsh looked really good for a bit, and Marsh was coming off shoulder surgery, so I think having a, a normal off season for him, a healthier off season, he could enter twenty twenty two and take a pretty big step forward this year. So really, it comes down to they need what a reliever are you doing? Though, too. Well, they need they need, they need, they need at a reliever, least, at a least middle one infielder. more. Yeah, they need a re- reliever, a middle infielder, and they need what everyone else needs, which is kind of annoying that depth starting pitcher. Rit, uh, Rit, 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 Rit Hill. Anyway, uh, I, <laughs> I, I'm banging the drum for Rich Hill. I definitely am. Um, I also think Alex Cobb, uh, you know, the Giants were, were in on him. Alex Cobb is here. But the reason I, I just want to take a little bit of segue here. Uh, we've said this now about every team that we've talked about, right? That they could use a depth starter. That's why the Rich Hill thing became a joke, right? Mm-hmm. The list is running out. Max Scherzer is gone. Clayton Kershaw, I think, yeah, maybe sign him. I think it's all about what you see in the medicals. I think that he'll be a late sign because people will want to see him throwing again, right? So I don't think Clayton Kershaw is like something that you you see in the next couple of days. Um, Then there's Rich Hill. Kevin Gossman, signed. Marcus Stroman, that's not like a depth signing. That's a big money. Corey Kluber, signed. Andrew Haney, signed. I'm going down Stuff Plus, by the way. So Max Scherzer's number one free agent Stuff Plus. He just signed. Clayton Kershaw, I think, is a big question mark. Rich Hill is third. Kevin Gossman signed. Marcus Stroman's a big deal. Corey Kluber signed. Andrew Haney signed. Anthony Discafani signed. Now we're getting into the place where it's league average stuff or, or, or worse, and these guys are available. But how excited are you about the following crew? Because this is what we're talking about for the Angels and the Mets and everybody. Drew Smiley, Danny Duffy, Chris Archer, Alex Cobb, Cole Stewart, Michael Walker signed. Alex Woods signed. Mike Fultinavich. Willie Peralta. Brad Peacock. Court John Gray signed. Corey Oswald. Tyler Anderson. He's going to get a two-year deal because because of what I'm the, what I'm telling you right now. You know what I mean? Like he's not even going to be a one-year depth deal. 
Zach Greinke to the Angels might be fun. Yeah. Well, I think Stroman actually makes sense. They have money. Plenty of money to spend. They had a lot of money come off the books. Yeah. I mean, look at what they... I mean, Pujols, among other things, off the books. And even when you factor in some of the raises and and some guys getting a little more expensive, like Rendon's free agent deal that he signed, it jumps up $8 million from 2021 to 2022. But there's a $70 million difference based on what Cots has. Yeah, estimated 2021 payroll final was 182. Estimated right now is 163. And they could probably go right up to 200, I think. Yeah, and they don't have a bunch of arbitration raise guys in there either. So they can spend. like they And they could, they could get Stroman. And I think Stroman fits really well. If you have the injury risk of Cindergaard, and I, I would still say Otani carries above average injury risk, not only as a two-way player, but because he just had Tommy John a couple years ago, you need that sort of stabilizing presence. I think Stroman fits exceptionally well for them just based on who their one and two are right now. All right, so we're building the Angels, and we're going to sign Marcus Stroman. We're going to sign Rysel Iglesias, and we're going to sign Trevor Story. Yep, and Tyler Anderson. And Tyler Anderson. That's going to cost us uh, 15, 10, 25, 35, and then Story. That's going to cost us $60 million, dude. We just spent the money that they were spending last year. Really? Sixty million plus the raises that are on the sheet right now. Yeah, it's about it's about the same. They run top five payrolls and they're competitive. Well, they run uh, top five payrolls sometimes when they're not competitive too. Well, by roster resource, if we added sixty million, they would be at two twenty. That's I'm I mean, looking at cots. They'd have them at one seventy one. Maybe the arbitration numbers aren't tacked on for twenty twenty two. Actually, the yet. estimated luxury tax number is one seventy two right now. So if we give them two sixty, they'd go to two thirty. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think they'll spend like thirty or forty million, which means uh, in this case we have to choose between a middle infielder and a starter. <laughs> I think you need the middle infielder a little bit more at this point. Yeah, you do. That outfield, that, that offense, I think, really needs it. So the more budget plan is story Rich Hill. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the, the reliever uh, stuff plus market goes Aaron Loop, Rysel Iglesias, Jimmy Nelson, Colin McHugh. It's not very good. Daniel Hudson? Okay, maybe, yeah, because you could have him close. I think Hudson would be a guy they would go get if they don't bring back Iglesias. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm doing the budget version. So the budget version is like Hudson or uh, Knebel, maybe. Okay. Like basically try to sign a guy that you think can close, but not at closer prices. Uh, so if we did Story, Hudson, and Hill, we would be spending about thirty to thirty-five million. And that would get them right below the luxury tax. Well, that might be very important to them right now, but yeah. they have to make more moves. Incomplete is an absolutely fair grade right now for the <laughs> Angels because there's just still a bunch of holes that need to be uh, to filled there. Uh, some other signings. We're going to try and run through a lot of these a little faster than the first cluster oh, yeah. that we did. You know, shut up. No, I'm not. Uh, that wasn't that wasn't code. That was just you know saying right, these are, are, these are, are less interesting by comparison. Erod Rabbit goes to the fire. Tigers, five for seventy-seven. Uh, so okay, sure. the ti- it, it's an incomplete for the Tigers because we know they're they're players for 
one of the shortstops, most likely Carlos Correa. It would make a lot of sense to start adding. They got young pitching there already. You, you tack Erod into the mize Scooble manning trio. You know, eventually you get Turnbull back. Okay, like I, I can I can start to get a little excited about them. And of course, they've got Supposedly a lot of young players. Non-tender Matt Boyd is the newest news. That's the that's the word. Well, they've yeah. got Riley Green knocking on the door. They got Spencer Torkelson knocking on the door. Riley Dylan Green Dingler behind the plate. A little bit too much for my liking, but he otherwise is a very exciting young bat. Yeah, so you got three Torque prospects. Is, Torque is ready, and I thought he in the Arizona Fall League. He like they're gonna. I bet you that he's the opening day first baseman. It's a pretty nice lift to start putting a few of those guys into the mix. So they're gonna get better with that group of position players. Erod, I thought, was really good even before what he did in the postseason. So I think he makes sense for them. Getting out of Boston as a lefty, especially, that might actually be a little bit of an upgrade for him park-wise. So maybe he's a little more stable for us for the next couple of years. I think that's yeah, a good thing, too. Rodriguez, five-year, 77, or Gray, four-year, 56? I would have taken Rodriguez. Rodriguez, I think. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's as much upside to unlock you know what I mean? Like, he's not a great stuff guy. But I also think that he was uh, probably the unluckiest of his career last year. So mm-hmm. why not buy a guy who's, like, basically a true talent, you know, 4.0 ERA guy? I think that's fair. But I mean, I would say whatever he's lost in terms of run support and good team context that way, I think he at least made it back, if not more, by going to a more pitcher-friendly environment. I think this yeah, is going to be... Yeah, it's a nice be... projection. 3.82 ERA, 1.25 whip is... Uh, it's a really good, uh, I would say, number two in AL only. Mm-hmm. And then probably for 15-team mixed leagues is more like a number four. Yep. A four if you've got a, a strong rotation, maybe a three if you wait a little bit on pitching would be the way I would And probably him. useful for teams that bet on like a sale at the top. Because I do think uh, Rodriguez has had some I- injury issues, but it's mostly not been in the arm. Mm-hmm. So I, I like him, I, I like him for innings this year. Yeah, a lot of knee issues uh, going in the one forties in the last couple of NFBC drafts. One forty overall range, so fifteen teamers. It's about the tenth round or so if you're looking for him. Uh, you mentioned Stephen Matz earlier, four for forty four. The thing that works for me though with Matz is that it's an extremely pitcher friendly environment. St. Louis is a great place to pitch. He's got a great defense behind him. So I, I know I'm a, like I know someone's gonna unearth some tweet or something where I was uh, negative about Matz and he's gonna have great numbers in, in St. <laughs> Louis. But my point is just like I think you could buy so many different pitchers on the free agent market and they have great numbers in St. Louis. And in fact, I think the one one of the things that St. Louis has not figured out that the Giants have figured out is that you should just always just get whoever falls in the pitching market. Yeah. And yeah, four four for forty four. I mean it's fine. Like it, it could be fine. I'm I'm on I'm on your side of this one where I don't it'll, I don't it'll like look the good. skills. He'll be a fine in fantasy. I just don't yeah, I don't think he's a very good pitcher. I just think you know, he's better than like the Dakota Hudson's of the world and yeah, you know, they should do, make deals like this, but I don't think they you know, 4 for 44 strikes me as the the high end of the filler market, right? Right. 
Well, it, it comes back to the the John Gray question. Would you have just paid a little extra to get John Gray? Yes, I, I would have said. I would have paid. Yes, that's what I don't for, like. I about would have it. gone it's, four for sixty on John Gray or and outbid the Rangers for somebody else, right? Like, right. It's just it, I don't like where it is. I would have paid more for somebody with more upside, or I would have paid less. I would have gotten Alex Cobb for like one and eight or one and ten or wherever he's going to sign for, rather than have, lock this guy in for four years. Yeah, look, just got, I got Sierra on my dashboard for uh, for fan graphs. Uh, John Gray has four seasons, even pitching in Colorado, with Sierra's under four, which is surprising. The first one, I think, was like a partial season. Stephen Matz only has two seasons mm-hmm. like that. And they both have poor poor uh, fastball shapes, but uh, Matz has been worse, and uh, he's already done the work. That's what I don't like, is that he did the work to shape his pitches and get the most out of what he could out of his arsenal, and that was last year. Yeah. So it's not like I look at what he did last year. And I'm like, oh, he should. No, I, I got nothing left for Matt. <laughs> like, yeah, he did everything that I said, you know, he th- th- thought he could do and he was useful. Uh, I don't, you know, with Gray, there's a little bit more like, oh, what if the fastballs changed shape this way or that way? Or what if he added a sinker or something? Or what if he just threw the curveball and slider a ton? So I think my issue with the Matt signing also is just what the Giants were able to do. And maybe these guys wanted to stay in San Francisco and they got, you know, the Giants got but slightly better deals. everybody would want but... to sign in St. Louis too, dude. <laughs> Every well, pitcher yeah. would love to sign in St. Louis. That's so you, probably why he took the, you know, the St. Louis over the Mets in the last in the last minute. Well, so Alex Wood got two years and I think it's north of $10 million per year. I don't think I saw the final terms there. So he goes back to the Giants. Anthony Scafani gets three for 36 to stay with the Giants. And then Brandon Belt accepted the qualifying offer. You and I got together for a beer the Friday before Thanksgiving. We were laughing because Logan Webb on that day was the only starter on the Giants depth chart. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I'd mentioned that I, I had picked up a share of Palumbo in a really deep uh, draft because... <laughs> Uh, Palumbo by stuff looked pretty good in, in 2020. And then also, uh, they just had nobody else. And Palumbo was like the third starting or the second starting pitcher that day. <laughs> now Palumbo's all the way down to fifth. <laughs> I, I assume he'll be like the sixth or seventh starter by the time the season starts. Yeah, I think that's, that's a fair sort of assessment. Now, my question for you is with both Alex Wood and Anthony Descafani jumping up in terms of price. They're not ridiculous, but they're just outside the top 200 in terms of their early ADPs, kind of in that 2 to 250 range, depending on who's in the room with you. Are you in on either or both of those guys in that range, considering where they pitch, what you've seen from them in San Francisco? Are they are they good at that price? Are they break even at that price? Where do you fall on them? I still think it's a pretty good, a pretty good spot. I mean, what are the, some of the other pitchers around them? Because I, I feel like uh, the the floor for those guys is they're absolutely useful in like seventy percent of the the weekly. Because you're talking about like weekly lineup situation, right? There's mm-hmm. gonna be they're gonna be like the very they're gonna be in the top ten or twenty pitchers some weeks in weekly lineups. You know what I mean? Yeah, the way they have like two games uh, against like the Rockies and the Padres at home. Yeah, you won't throw them on the road against the Dodgers. You right. won't throw them in Colorado. But otherwise, seventy-five percent of these the season they they're like top fifty type pitchers. They live right now in the Cal Quantrill, Patrick Sandoval, Jordan Montgomery. It's and those guys you won't put you won't play all the time either. 
Except no. it'll be harder to figure out exactly when to play them. <laughs> Quantrill's probably close to that 75% range he's cl- because he's, of the AL Central. And because he's in Cleveland. But uh, but in some ways, uh, and, and he might have some more upside. Like Discofani and Wood are defined creatures at this point. You know, I'm not saying that there's something to unlock and there's another level. Like I think they are who they are. They can only go down because of fastball velo. So Quantrill has a little bit more upside. So maybe I take Quantrill over those guys. But they absolutely belong where they are, and and I think they're good picks compared to most of the names you said. And then Brandon Belt accepting that qualifying offer on the hitting side, that made all the sense in the world. I don't think free agency was going to be that kind to him. It just isn't for a guy with, A, that positional limitation, and B, his injury history especially. Yeah. Two for 30 wasn't going to be out there. So one for 18 to stay in a place where he's had a lot of success makes a lot of sense, but it also leaves the Giants at a good spot too. I just feel badly for his legacy, man. Uh, you know, I've seen, you know, too many people... Uh, still to this day, uh, you know, on Twitter discussing his, you know, his low batting average, the, the really? fact that he's never hit through 30 home runs. I mean, maybe not among fantasy players or, or or the Fangraphs types, but it's still it's still a thing out there in the world that he's not a good hitter because his batting average is low. And uh, I just, you know, here's a story where WRC Plus tells a very different story. He's been 26% better than league average uh, as a hitter over the course of his career. And yeah. I think that tells the real story of Brandon Belt. Yeah, Brandon Belt has been below a 100 WRC Plus one time in his entire career. And it was a 98. It, it, was, a, yeah, it was a 98. It was fine. Yeah. Like, it was a good year. Yeah, he's he's been a much better offensive player than anybody looking at his batting average could possibly give him credit for. Uh, moving on to the next cluster of moves. Avisail Garcia to the Marlins. We knew they were going to do something to ramp up that offense. Four for 53 for Avi. Good for him. I mean, it looked like a totally different guy going back to 2020. Completely changed his body. I think he held a lot of that uh, that change over into 2021. Had a great season with the Brewers. Goes into a more pitcher-friendly environment. But you're talking about a, a max volume playing time guy who I think at least in like NL only leagues and those types of formats, like I'm definitely interested in. I'm a little less locked in in mixers. I think it'll probably be more good than bad at the price right now in that 180 overall range. Totally fine for a guy that should play as Where much as he's able to do so. That's in the that's in the Conforto, Hunter Renfro, Robbie Grossman's a really interesting player. We'll get to him on a future episode, I'm sure. Jorge Soler, Adam Duvall. Like those well, guys are all in that same range. What's interesting, too, from a real baseball perspective, is that he's among a bunch of outfielders that have real-life baseball flaws. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Conforto is the only one that kind of reaches my eye where I'm like, I don't I don't know what his flaw is other than coming off of a, not, the, not the greatest season, you know? But Garcia is has a little bit more... Uh, in common with like a, a Duvall than people might realize because he doesn't strike out like Duvall and uh, he doesn't have the terrible OBPs, but he does not have a good plate approach really. Um, and uh, defensively, he's like a stat cast God. Like he, he throws the ball in the top 15%. He is max exit is in the top 15%. Uh, you know, he, he, he runs in the top 15%. His roots are probably in the bottom 10% of the league. I mean, you must have seen this, where 
do you remember even in the postseason there were a couple times you're like oh no 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 <laughs> the ball would find him you know what i mean and he would do ridiculous things and you're just like this guy is like a five tool player somebody said on twitter it was really funny uh, the worst five tool player there is. <laughs> That's an interesting thing. Someone has I, I to be the worst five tool player. I don't want to. I don't. I'm not trying to be mean. These guys are all really good, but there is uh, there. He is less than the sum of his parts. You know, when you add up all the stat casts, you're like, oh, this guy's amazing. And then you're like, why did he? How did he miss that ball? NLDH could really help him. Yeah, and I think, I mean, in the end of the deal, it probably will. I think what's interesting is he's lumped together with all these guys who are like non-tender, DFA, uh, having trouble keeping their job type guys, for the most part, not Conforto. Conforto's coming off a down year and is just he's, being underdrafted. he's probably but, better than them. I mean, he's at least locked into a job if you're talking fantasy, right? But like, look at Hunter Renfro or look at what Jorge Soler cost via trade, right? I mean, think about Adelis Garcia going a little I mean, bit that earlier. that was my point, right. Yeah, these like, are not good baseball players, a lot of them, most of them. <laughs> But it's a volume game, and, and there's you know it's nothing that's going to keep him from playing every yeah, single day. In terms so, of buying plate appearances, you're going to do well with Garcia next year. Probably the first time in his career to go past 601. I mean, I think there are opportunities for him to do it in the past. It was just a health thing. But I think with the way he's changed his body, I'm more confident in him staying healthy now than mm. I would have been in the past, at least a little oh, bit Oh, you think that he was just too big for himself? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think when you have a, a frame like that, I think it, it lends itself to creating more problems, right? Like you're, you're putting more more strain on your joints by being, a, I would assume, overweight for his. He was this big guy. He's huge. Like when you see him standing right, right, on the yeah. field, he is a large human. Like I've said this before, but he, he has a, being more trim. I think he's much more likely to stay healthy. Could just be wish casting. I don't know, but uh, I don't know. I have more confidence in him this way. The uh, where do you what do you what do you what do you do? You know the the the, the rumors are that they're they're going to trade a, a starting pitcher, and to me, it's Pablo Lopez um, because mm-hmm. they just signed Alcantara to a an extension. Uh, Rogers is still on the minimum salary, and I don't think Eliezer Hernandez has much trade value uh, to other teams. Uh, so, if you trade Pablo Lopez, what are you looking for? Center fielder? Yeah, I think that's your your first thing you want because at this point. You're not you expecting Dela, Lewis Brinson to yeah, be that I think, guy. I think it's I think Harrison. I think it's gone. So I think I think you would rather De La Cruz and Sanchez had one position between the two of them. Yeah, they could platoon in a corner. That would work. Um, centers does of it, who? Does it work who? by handedness? Yeah, De La Cruz is a righty, and Jesus Sanchez is a lefty. Oh, there so you go. that's not a bad platoon, actually. That would be pretty good. And and of course with depth, so they'd play when Garcia was hurt or whatever. Right. Yeah, but or who, or if there was who are you trading for as a center fielder, what 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 team? Because uh, yeah. Byron Buxton got an extension. He's Mullins? staying in Minnesota. But the the the, the, the Orioles are not going to give up Mullins for Pablo Lopez, will they? No, no they would. They'd want like Max Meyer and then something else, or like Meyer and Watson, or you know something like real big. Uh, maybe the Marlins could do that. Would you? Would you trade Meyer and Watson to get Cedric Mullins? Who's Watson? Khalil Watson. Uh, center fielder, shortstop, shortstop, or shortstop. Fell to sixteen in the draft, but I mean, mm. it was their first rounder. I mean, I think it depends year. on how how uh, how much uh, of a burn they're feeling to be competitive, right? <laughs> you know, 
Um, if they want to build it for the long term, I doubt they do that deal. But 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 who else is selling center fielders? Brian Reynolds. Mm, there you go. Okay, now you're talking like that. That I think is doable. Brian Reynolds. That would be an interesting trade. But it, a nice it, fit. But also, yeah. But also, what's weird about giving up Pablo Lopez for Brian Reynolds is like you're just giving up a major league piece for a major league piece. I think what you would actually do is trade Pablo Lopez to a contender that wants Lopez for a near center fielder. I don't. I know it's not going to be Brandon Marsh, but like that. Yeah, I guess that would be you know Atlanta probably fits that description because they have extra outfielders now. I, I suppose maybe on Marsh, right? Like it, like it could be. Actually, maybe they, if, if you believe if you believe Justin Upton can still do something, and you think Mike Trout's going to stay healthy, and you want Adele to have a spot to himself, and, and you, you can go and get you, a and you think that Adele can play center if you need to. Yeah, you can go get your fourth outfielder in free agency. Yeah. I mean, as now now we're talking. I think that that's the kind of trade that would make more sense. Is like a contender overpays a little bit for Lopez, maybe, but feels like they really need that pitching. Yeah, I don't think the Braves really feel like they need that pitching. The Mets have bought it mostly. Uh, The Blue Jays have bought it, and the Rays don't trade for the Red Sox. Would they trade for Pablo Lopez? Uh, Maybe. I don't know. I don't think so. We're running out of contenders here for this. Uh, Mariners? Wait a minute. Everybody needed pitching like 45 minutes ago. Yeah, but they all want to do it cheap with money, I think. Right. What, what extra? What teams have something extra? Well, the Mets have a little bit of extra stuff they could possibly give up. They have bats. Yeah. Do they play center? Well, no, they they had that same problem. They didn't have anyone that could do it. So Padres, Grisham for Lopez. Nah, they're not. They're not doing that. I don't think. Nah. But I think that it also illustrates the fact that like everyone's like, oh yeah, the Marlins are gonna trade, uh, you know, pitching for a bat, and then you kind of try to do, drill down. You're like, really? And who's gonna trade with them? And and what are they gonna give them? Yeah, a Brandon Marsh deal. I mean, that'd be. I would actually like that for the Marlins. That'd be. Oh, I would do it for the Marlins in a second. I think I, I think the Angels might not do that. You might have to give something else if you're the Marlins to get a deal like that done. Uh, the Sandy Alcantara extension, by the way, five for fifty-six buys out two years of free agency. I know you've liked Sandy for a long time, so I imagine you feel great for the Marlins having him there as long as possible. Seems team friendly to me, and mm-hmm. in fact, I would say that these extensions that we've seen, uh, a lot of them are team friendly. I wonder. So I think Wander Franco did leave some money on the table. Um, uh, but one thing I would like to point out in respect to like Tatis and these the $300 million shortstops, Wander d- has not exhibited that type of power yet. You know? Right. He's really good player in all regards. But in terms of like batted ball oomph, in terms of exit velocity, that sort of stuff, hasn't really shown himself to be at the $300 million level. So maybe this $200 million level is perfect for him. Maybe maybe that's just what the market reflects. Uh, what was the other extension? Buxton. I think that one is incredibly team-friendly. However, I didn't see the details before I tweeted about it because uh, the this is in one of those cases where the... Uh, incentives are actually pretty intense and actually good. Yeah. And he could, he could get himself just with like plate appearances. He's got about two and a half million per season on there. 
So that's another, you know, 15 million he can make just by being healthy. And then he has MVP finishes in every season. And he is of the type of quality where this isn't a pie in the sky thing. This is like, oh yeah, Buxton in a healthy season could put up seven, eight, nine war and be a finalist. And if he's a the seventh in the MVP or something, he gets like $3 million. So now right. you're talking about like, no, we paid, paid a baseline, but we gave really good incentives in there. And if he does, if he is healthy, he's going to still be paid, you know, something like $20 million in a season. He can make $20 million in a season if he's, if he's really good. And then he, he bakes in a sort of 10 to $15 million every season. I think the Buxton thing is interesting because in some ways with his plate skills profile, there's a lot of Javier Baez in the how will he age as a hitter question, Mm -hmm. right? You know, a 25-ish percent K rate these last couple of years when things have been going well from a power perspective. uh, It's only walking about 5 to 6% of the time in his his better years more recently. So you you look at that and you say, okay, like that's probably not going to change much. He's had enough experience in the big leagues, Mm -hmm. over 1,700 plate appearances this is largely who he is from a plate discipline perspective, but he's doing so much damage when he makes contact and he's such a great defender in center field. You take this chance all day long. If you're Minnesota, I I like that there's incentives in there for him for staying healthy. His track record, unfortunately is like a mixture of the kind of chronic stuff, but also it's bad luck stuff tacked on top of that. Right. We talked about the collision in the outfield. That was back at double a, outfield collisions hit by pitches balls off the angle. I mean like some of that stuff there's no way to predict that none there's and there's, I don't think hammering a ball off your ankle and missing months because of that that's not really your fault that's just a it's an accident it's an unfortunate thing that happens so how much do you believe in Byron Buxton massive damage power hitter like I, how are you convinced by what we've seen Kind of going back even as far as 2019 now. He said a slug over 500 going back to 2019. Is this uh, really a 30 to 35 home run bat if we do see him stay healthy for at least you know, 140 games over a season? Yeah, and I think he, he shows a little bit of the usefulness of uh, max EV and max exit velocity as a raw power metric because he's always hit the ball really hard in the maxes. So even in 2016, he had a 111 max, which is over that 108 threshold. 2017, 111 max. It's gone up now. Last season was 116 max, but he's always had really good max EV and the barrel rates finally sort of rose to meet it by, you know, finding a way to make that max power, uh, make that max EV swing, you know, lift it a little bit better. Uh, In terms of barrel rates, it goes back to 2019 now where he's had better than a double digit barrel rate and double digit barrel rates are elite. So... To me, uh, the power, I believe in it. And then the only one thing I wanted to add on top of this is his chase rate is not Baezian. He actually chases the pitches outside the zone at a league average rate. So I think that um, he's an aggressive hitter that doesn't get to walk counts because he's swinging a lot. But it's not swinging willy-nilly. He actually does have a decent sense of the zone. So I, I honestly think that he has an MVP season in him. That I see that as it's still a possibility. And so to, to sign a guy who could give you an MVP season for $100 million, I think is you got to do it. Yeah. And I've been a Buxton truther for a few years now. There are more people on board now than there were a couple seasons ago. He's up to, <laughs> uh, 
a 68 uh, ADP. That's over just a couple he's drafts that were last week. He's burned week. so many people, though, uh, with the injuries over the past that uh, you have definitely people in the room who are whatever the opposite is of a Bucks and Truther who will oh, never yeah. own him because they're still mad about you know some season he tanked. Yeah, for them Buxton, with Buxton deniers, I guess they'd be. Yeah. <laughs> he was 9 for 10 as a base dealer in 2021 as well. So it's, it's not like the power has made the speed just totally disappear like yeah I, i'm with you i mean that there's I, I know it's not fair to just double up numbers from less than half a season and say that that's who he is but that's a 40 20 pace how many guys can do that that's a very short list of players so mm-hmm. uh, i'm in on buxton in the pick 50 to 75 range where he goes like the specifics probably depend on the foundation mm-hmm. uh, i like this for the twins I hope he reaches all the incentives and maxes it out to whatever the highest possible total of that deal can be. And I'm glad he's staying in Minnesota too, because it just seemed weird that like he would be traded right now and end up having to get this this sort of deal from from somebody else. They have a really exciting uh, outfield coming up with Larnak and and Kirilov, I think. Uh, you know, the infield is a little bit more of a question mark, but even with Miranda there. Uh, they have some some youth and some exciting stuff. They've got to, It's all about figuring out the starting pitching. Josh Kalk has got to be. Uh, he's he's got to consider himself on the on the hot seat. He came over as a pitching guru from the Rays into that front office, and uh, the pitching has been a problem. Yeah, you mentioned the Wander extension. I mean, eleven years, one hundred eighty-two million. Not as far into his career as Tatis was getting that deal either. So there's there's that that has to be at least factored in a little bit too. But the Rays have been pretty busy. They've added Corey Kluber to the mix. One year, eight million dollars. They 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 they're still funny because they're like, this is our playbook. Everyone knows it, and we're just going to keep doing it, and no one stops us. Yeah, like a lot of people are are copying them, and that's made it harder for them to get the one in ten million dollar. You know, they the the first time they did that, it was like Charlie Morton, and everyone's like, "Oh crap!" You know, let's do what the Rays did, and now now they're you know now they have to get Corey Kluber, but Kluber was pretty good when he was in, uh, and I've counted him out uh, too many times too early. So he's the perfect kind of player that can maybe uh, pitch them fifty or hundred innings early on, and then a young guy takes over for him. Yeah, and he, he's got more of the, the deep arsenal approach as opposed to the yeah more change ups lights up the radar gun. So yeah. I, I I do like that just from a he's making some adjustments perspective. Uh, no one ever, never, no one ever throws stones at the Rays for for the moves they make. No one's going to question one year eight million for a pitcher, especially in this market when you're seeing what multi year guys. And, have been and getting. you heard me sort of list how 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 ugly it gets uh, right now. Like them taking Kluber actually uh, took a took a big chunk out of what's available, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and Michael Walker, who was there, goes with Hyam Bloom to Boston. He goes there, and it's like, well, look at what they got from Walker last year: 124 and two thirds innings, a 505 ERA and a 131 WHIP. I think Kluber is probably better than that. Like, mm-hmm. I was actually surprised that that Walker. Uh, went to Boston. Like, do you see him as a back end, like glue guy, source of innings if you need it, or do you think we're at the point in the career where we're finally doing the Michael Walker is a reliever thing? Yeah, I can't tell. Uh, Pitching Plus has always liked him better than his results. Um, he, you know, he shows good location. One thing that happened was he he turfed the cutter, uh, which is a poor pitch for him in this in you know the last sort of five to six appearances, and in then in you know. Without the cutter, he had like a 98 stuff plus. So uh, maybe they're making a bet on, you know, the post cutter uh, version of Waka. 
um, you know, maybe, and this is uh, my my personal theory on him, is that he's going to be just like a three-inning guy. And so they are fine with him not throwing his cutter because they're like, fastball changeup, three innings, thank you very much. Yeah, maybe they'll maybe use him. Innings. Maybe they'll use him the way they use Tanner Houck at times during the regular season this year and then let Houck just be a regular starter. Yeah. Yeah, could be a good and at the price. uh, This is this is this is the lottery ticket portion of the schedule. Everyone is everyone uh, is going to take a one and six, one and seven, one and eight, even a one and ten, and put them in their starting rotation and hope it works out. And if it doesn't, it was just one year. It was just ten million. Yeah, pirates adding. What did they pay? What did they pay Cole Hamels to throw one bullpen? <laughs> that was pretty weird in hindsight. Uh, Pirates getting it on the fun too. Jose Quintana gets a, a one-year, two million dollar deal to go to Pittsburgh, and Yoshi Satsugo, who started to, it seemed like unlock some things with the Pirates, goes back on a one-year, four million dollar deal. Like the key for me with Satsugo, he can play a lot there. And in Tampa Bay, it was you know a large side platoon role initially with the Dodgers for the brief time he was there. It was kind of like a, how is he going to fit here as more than a bench piece? At least with Pittsburgh, they can play him as much as he needs to be played based on performance. You know, Pittsburgh likes, you know, likes people like to make fun of, of what's going on there and, and what's happened. But uh, this could come together really quickly because I love O'Neill Cruz and I love Cabrian Hayes. And when you have that, on the left side of your infield, and then you have competence like Brian Reynolds in center, uh, and then I think Stallings behind the plate is pretty competent too. So you you've got competent veterans in certain places, you've got the exciting stars in some places, um, and you're and you're starting to you know do some depth signings and do some you know do some small moves here and there. I'm not saying that they're going to be good this year, but I'm saying they could be good sooner than people think. Yeah, Rowanzi Contreras uh, also. Yes, Contreras. Also. We like Yahure, so that's that's two young pitchers we like on that staff, and they're just going to bubble up to the top. Yeah, Nick Gonzalez, probably not far away. Henry Davis, probably not that far away. So you're right. Help is coming in Pittsburgh. Uh, speaking of a former Pirate, briefly a Padre, Adam Frazier goes to Seattle in a trade, and I, I didn't uh. expect him to be the guy he was in the first half of the season. Is he just kind of a plays everywhere sort of guy, or is he their actual solution at second base? I don't know, man. It's uh, it's not super exciting. I I and uh, it's just it's a it's a zero power kind of all contact thing that we're not doing that much in the game these days. But if it is part of a larger plan, and he is the utility guy, like maybe a David Fletcher when you, when you're using him best, then I kind of like it. You know what I mean? Like, I think a guy who can, especially in light of this idea of lineup diversity, just having a guy like him that's just could put the ball in play, sure. And then you just put him wherever you need him, second base, outfield. Dylan Moore is still part of it. Or you sign Story and you push Frazier into the outfield mix or as the the offensive uh, platoon guy, the offensive utility guy. Yeah, just make Story a second baseman now, and if you lose J.P. Crawford to an injury, who's a great defender, then you can just play Story at short and shuffle mm-hmm. everybody around and fill in at second. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the puns and are going to be insufferable for this. <laughs> yeah, Frazier to Seattle. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, Frazier-Story pairing is also kind of cool, too, because of, of Frazier kind of mitigates some of Story's problems, you know? 
in terms of making contact and stuff. And then Story is the much more uh, impressive physical player. Yeah. So there was your their trade. Of course, Seattle is involved. Uh, <laughs> I hope we get more. I if hope they we get surprise a lot us, more moves. if they surprise us with money, it's to me, it's a middle infielder and a starting pitcher. So we've struggled to kind of figure out like where the starting pitchers are going to go. Like which one would they get? Who who would they actually be after? Would, would they be in on Ray or possibly Stroman? Uh, yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um, yeah, definitely. Why not? I think they need it. You push Marcus Gonzalez to second. You take some of the pressure off of Gilbert. And then you hope that, you know, your Kirby, um, you know, your, your, some of your minor leaguers start coming, start bubbling up in the back. I think, yeah, I, I'm trying the only reason I hesitated was I just don't know which one fits them better. Maybe, I don't know, Ray. I don't know. I kind of like Ray there a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, you know, the the infield defense is pretty good. I guess Stroman would be fine there. But I think they, they could use someone. I don't see Stroman as popping to ace-level upside. I think he's just a really solid, like, 2-3 guy, you know? So Ray is interesting to them because he could, if he, if he remains on this burner he's on, he has more upside, he could be more of an ace. And I think that's kind of what they need because Marco Gonzalez is kind of, you know, a number two with innings and stuff. Yeah, yeah, he's more of a bulk guy. And you could have Gilbert ascend to that level. George Kirby could be that kind of pitcher. I've seen some buzz Brash, around Matt Brash. Brash's slider is so good. Mm-hmm. I don't so know Brash if it's could enough be, to do, be a whole starter and everything, but it's a really good slider. But he might be a back-end guy with Ks, or like a four- or five-inning guy. I mean, there's a few ways it could work out yeah. and end up being a really good thing for Matt Brash. So... Uh, we have set a record, you know. I'm 99% sure we've never had a pod go an hour 40 before. So yes, Woo-hoo! over 100 minutes of goodness. Yeah, and it's all goodness because you know the next pod might be. <laughs> well, actually, we'll have one more uh, wrap up of all the moves uh, on Wednesday, and then the Friday pod might be doom. I'm gonna need someone to just send me bags of cash to do more NFBC draft and hold leagues to bridge the gap through the lockout. Like I can't do one every week on my own dime. It will eventually just, you know, destroy my bankroll. So um, if you have bags of money around that you need to make go away, you can what send those to do? me. What are we going to write about? What are we going to talk about? Well, we got more holidays coming up, so we'll get more shows off. That might be the key. If we take the holiday shows off, like around the end of December, yeah. 20th or so. <laughs> You're giving you guys our playbook. You'll, the lockout you'll, you might won't end. hear from us during the lockout. <laughs> I just, no, to no. me, it's just, it's like, it's not fun. It's not fun. The leaks, uh, the 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 ideas that they have uh, are not fun, and especially ownership. They just seem to come up with a dumber idea every time. Every time one of the ownership plans leaks, I'm like, no, no. Why would the players ever do this? You, know, you, want to, war. you want to lower the luxury tax? <laughs> yeah, lower the luxury tax. Uh, pay players by war. Um, if you go negative in war, pay the team back <laughs> yeah, out of your own the pocket. Owner, the owner gets money back. <laughs> Take out a high interest loan through the bank of ownership's choice to pay. No, it's like, yeah. come on, like, get, get out of here with this nonsense. But uh, before we go, if you made it to this point in the pod, thank you for listening for yes. you know, an hour and 40 minutes. You I should have mentioned this a lot earlier. Sort of cookie. 
we should have like a, a special gift we could offer you, but we can <laughs> offer you a subscription to The Athletic for just a dollar a month for the first year. It's the Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Uh, everyone has a deal right now. This is our best deal of the year. We don't do this very often. Theathletic.com slash rates and barrels is where you can sign up for that. So be sure to get that or tell friends. You got some friends that don't have The Athletic yet? A dollar a month? I mean, come on. Think about all the things you spend more than a dollar a month on that you enjoy a lot less than you would enjoy a subscription to the site. And it's a good way to support uh, one of your favorite pods. I'm not going to say it's your favorite pod. Maybe it is, but you know, it's a pod that you listen to for almost two hours on a random <laughs> yeah. Monday. We, we definitely miss doing the show, though, because like I, I think we sort of did a pod when we were having that beer. Like, it it kind of turned into like at least 30 minutes of rates and barrels <laughs> before going back into just normal bar chatter. Yeah, well, you know, our pre-work done in bars. And then hopefully this spring, uh, there's enough of a run-up uh, for the baseball season that we will have those uh, live shows in the Bay Area. So keep an ear out for that. Excited for that possibility uh, at this point, too. Definitely seems like something that we can get off the ground. On Twitter, he's at Enoceris. I am at Derek Van Riper. Give Brit a follow at Brit underscore Giroli. And follow at Rates and Barrels on Twitter. Something cool could happen there someday. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to barrel up on the like button. We'd greatly appreciate that. That is going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.